0: Could he do that? Are you on, cha-
1: what? Charles
0: Darwin, the nerds is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Braber, and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, we're gonna to be talking basketball with you all because of course it is that time of the year we have just under a couple weeks left of the regular season now which is pretty crazy, but we start today with some really unfortunate news, which is that Robert Williams, whose praises we were just singing on our last show, who has been so phenomenal defensively for a Celtics team that has been statistically the best in basketball for the last 25 plus games, has torn his meniscus. So he's not going to be out there. Obviously, a pretty game-changing update and a really unfortunate one for Boston, but What's your reaction? How does this change things for the Celtics?
1: It changes things a lot. Um, I think Rob was, uh, I think Rob was potentially an all-defense guy this year, and it's tough with all the great big men that we have defensively in the NBA. Um, you know, just really concretely say if he was going to make it, but I think Rob was an all-defense guy. Um, in the Ringer, uh, Kevin uh, Koc just came out with a really great article uh, on the Ringer that I'm reading through here now. Um, some great facts in there. Smart and Williams were the number one switching, uh, pick and roll duo in basketball. They were the third most efficient pick and roll scoring duo in basketball. Um, out of players that have defended at least 600 shots, uh, Rob was forcing opponents to shoot 35.5% on him this year, the best mark in the league, like, um, yeah, I mean, it's safe to say that that Rob is that the Celtics aren't going to be the same without Rob, offensively or defensively. There's a lot of things I like about Rob, man. The the verticality, the switchability, the uh, straight up rim protection. The but but the switchability is the biggest thing, and that's what you're mad at yourself for for losing. And that's why when you watch the Celtics play, man, the I really think the Horford Williams uh, tandem is is something special, man. Like in terms of that, you always have a good rim. You know, Horford's not great at getting vertical, but he's big enough to always test shots, and they're both really switchable. You saw against the Jazz, and I'm going to talk about this when we get into Utah later, like the Celtics were just switching everything. It seemed like every single possession down the floor, no matter where the Jazz moved the ball. A guy was sliding off, and it was beautiful to watch. The question is, you know, what do the Celtics do without him? I honestly think they're decently well-equipped to be okay on that end you know what i mean i think this changes things in the sense that i don't think the celtics can make it out of the east anymore i think rob is that big of a component yeah. to this formula but i think they are well equipped with the acquisition of Derek white um to make things happen um and what i mean by that is you have horford now who can slide into that five spot and you just move everybody down a position jay goes back to the four uh, jb moves to the three you move uh Derek white into the two spot and you roll um That's what I would probably do. You also, uh, they brought back Tice, which is a big deal. You could start him. Um, This is sad, though, Carson. It's always been my concern about the Celtics' rotation. I said this literally two weeks ago, um, live in the Bill Austin radio studio. Boston's rotation is really, really fucking short. And if they have a guy, like, again, these guys are running 36 a night. Mm-hmm. This has always been the concern because you're running three or four guys off the bench every night in very limited minutes. The Peyton Pritchard's of the world. Uh, yeah, Pritchard probably gets the most burned, but you know what I'm getting at is these guys are getting exhausted every night with how hard they play, with how many minutes they're getting. This was always a concern, and it happened. And Rob is done for the playoffs. So, like, I I think they can supplement Rob with Tice, with Derek White, with... Because uh, I still think they have a very versatile... Uh, lineup, and I think they're going to be good. But it's like the Celtics' best-case scenario, I think, is winning a first-round playoff series now. That's kind of the conclusion I think I come to. I, I love Jalen Brown. I love Jason Tatum. But Time Lord's impact this season mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't think can be overstated. And so without him, I just don't think the Celtics have a chance uh, at, at making an ECF run even. Wow.
0: I think that this is a significant blow and I'm trying to think it over, they wouldn't, to me, be the favorite in any second-round series. I don't know if I would come out and say that they couldn't beat any of those teams. I definitely think that they could probably still beat a team like the Heat, who have been struggling as of late, and we'll talk about them. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they would be the favorite, so I agree with you in that respect. And I think that their title hopes are dashed. And it's interesting because you look at a guy with a skill set like Rob, and it feels like for the last few years... What we've harped on repeatedly is that's a relatively replaceable skill set, right? The big who is mostly a dynamic athlete who is a lob threat, clean up on the glass, protect the rim. But Rob is so, so good at it that, I mean, it really is game-changing impact. I mean, like you said, unquestionably all-defense caliber impact and so phenomenally efficient on the offensive end where he's 74% from the field and so great on the glass where he's racking up four offensive boards a game and just feasts on second chance opportunities like he's not your typical solid rotational big like he does his job exceptionally well and is involved in the offense even with like handoffs and stuff and I don't know that he's irreplaceable in that respect Mm -hmm. but the problem is The Celtics don't have another guy with his skill set. I mean, this is a dynamic rim protector. This is a dynamic vertical spacer and roll man. And you slide Horford over to the five. Horford's a good basketball player. You know, you maintain switchability defensively, but you're losing some really valuable athleticism on both ends. And you're losing that real deterrent on the interior, which I think is really important for this team because Rob's such a great help guy in that respect. And so it's not good. And then if you look at the depth in terms of bigs, Tice is fine. He is not comparable as an athlete, not remotely. And so again, you're losing out on that dynamic impact. And then you go beyond that. There's not another real big on this roster who's going to play. No,
1: I mean, would, the situation that the Celtics have put themselves in is now you're relying on a guy like Grant Williams, to to run big minutes for you. And that's a nightmare scenario. Yeah, Grant is... I don't know if you could slide a piece of paper under Grant's feet when he jumps <laughs> off the ground, bro. I love the man. And he's 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 it's, it's a really tough spot. I, I do want to add a couple more stats uh, to just uh, how phenomenal Rob has been, um, the Celtics are allowing .86 points per pick and roll that Williams defends. That's the best mark in the NBA of any big man. The Celtics have the most uh switches on screens in the league. They allow the second fewest points uh uh off of screens. Like it's like Rob yeah. has been dominant. Rob mm-hmm. Rob has been arguably I, it's tough because I think that Bam is probably I, I think Bam honestly might be my depoy at this point. I, I still think that that's probably where I'm leaning, and Bam is probably just a better defender at this point. But like, Time Lord deserves so much credit this season for what Boston has done, and it's it sucks. I'm honestly I'm glad they made the move to get Tice back. Yeah, because this happened. Super glad. I'm glad that they brought Horford back in because these are necessary pieces. But it's like. Is it going to be enough? And I don't think it is. With just, I mean, you talk about stuff like that too. I mean, you're, you're missing a lob threat out on the floor. Rob has been so impactful in that respect. Yeah. And just drawing attention to the paint. Like, guys collapse on Rob because he's that dominant inside. You talk what is he, 74% this season? Yeah. Like, guys have
0: to slide on that because Rob is converting anything he gets in the paint. Right. Um, And I just think also the cleanup duty value, man, like you know, you still have these isolation shot makers who are taking some tough looks and to have a guy who is unequivocally among the best offensive rebounders in basketball and will convert super efficiently really, really helps obviously. So it's just a bunch of, I don't know if you would call them little things, but things that Rob does that other people on this roster can't that accumulate, even if he's only averaging 10 and 10. And, uh, Horford's had a good defensive season and is still a good defensive big, but again, it's just not the same kind of impact and You now have nobody offensively who is that scary big athletically and I just think this is a really really big blow to this team, especially given the fact that we all know the reason that they have become Basically the best team in basketball for a third of the season is because they have been by far the best defense. They have been lapping the league in that respect. Because of their switchability, their athleticism, their identity, consistency night-to-night has just been stellar. And Rob was probably the most important part of that. I mean, and then you talk about, like, in, in
1: terms of, like, like, getting out in transition, too, man. Rob has been massive in that regard. Like, and that's mm-hmm. where a lot of points come from Boston. Like, this is a... I I don't think you can again. I don't. I just don't think you can overstate Rob's impact on this team this season. Despite that he's just putting up ten and ten, really freaking efficiently. This sucks. Yeah. This This really sucks, man. Yeah. I was so excited just because I feel like when's the last time you we have seen a? I don't know if there's a time in my basketball life, Carson, that I can remember a story quite like Boston's this season, where. I was off them completely, expectation wise. They open the gates, and they're like yeah. you know twelfth out in the East, and they have such a dramatic turnaround to where you know they climb up to the one seed. I don't know if we ever seen anything like this, and I just feel like we as fans, I, I feel bad for Celtics fans. I just feel bad for. I feel like we were robbed of something that this was supposed to be something special that we could all watch and see this crazy turnaround. Maybe the Celtics could win the finals. I may have picked them out of the East, like I was genuinely leaning towards that until this happened. I every day I was talking to myself closer and closer into Boston, coming out of the East, genuinely, and yeah, I, I just feel like we
0: got robbed this season, man. It's it it's sucks. it's really it, it's really sad. Yeah, I mean, just to answer the question that you threw out there, I don't think that there is a truly comparable situation in recent memory for me. There have been slow starting teams. The 2011 Heat were nine and eight to begin. Last year's Suns team, I think, was like around 520 games into the year. LeBron teams in general have had some slow starts. But overwhelmingly, especially with, like, LeBron teams, you're like, okay, it's an adjustment period going on here. And the Celtics didn't have that excuse. And, dude, I was out on them. I mean, I was adamantly out on them. I thought their depth sucked. They weren't playing good defense. Their offense was labored. It was super reliant on tough shots that guys weren't making. Their shooting collectively wasn't very good. They were given Jabari Parker minutes. And this was like, (laughs) you know, all the way up through like 20-something games into the year. Mm -hmm. The Celtics were not a good basketball team. I wasn't sure that Udoka was all that impressive. And now it's like every single one of those things has pretty much flipped on its head, and they have just been a machine. But I do think this is a cog that they could not afford to lose. I mean, Rob was the glue guy. He brought a lot of things together. And... I don't know how they compensate for that. I mean, we've talked about rotationally how they can adjust. And, yeah, they have competent bigs. But I don't feel like they are now going out there and, like we said, the favorite against any of the other top four teams in the East. Yeah, if we're looking
1: at, at potential matchups, I, I think Chicago, Boston, if we get that. I, and at this point, this is still all hypothetical. Chicago's likely going to get the five seed. Um The top four is just kind of up for grabs right now. That's going to be a dogfight, dude. I could see either team coming out on that side. I would have leaned heavily Boston. And -hmm. then you talk about the second round. Honestly, I say that Boston wouldn't be favored in the second round series. I think Boston would have a chance at beating Miami. Yeah. Honestly, just because how bad Miami's been slumping. Um, If they draw Brooklyn, I'd probably take Brooklyn over them. Like, it's... They literally go from my favorite out east to just being uh, middling. I don't know. This this really does change things and uh it's just so I'm just disappointed man I really am I'm just disappointed yeah Rob's, Rob's a special guy and I hope he comes back and doesn't you know hasn't really lost a step athletically because that's a big injury
0: mm-hmm. yeah I mean I would hope with his age and medicine and everything where that's at that long term he'll be okay but again the Boston defense has been five points per 100 possessions better when Rob is on the floor that's the difference between them being a good defense the best defense in the league And that's what has defined their success so it's a pretty crushing loss and I think we both agree that it pretty dramatically reframes expectations for this Celtics team so we talked a little bit about a potential Celtics heat matchup just because as things currently stand that is the one four with Miami in that top spot but I mean one through four is separated by a grand total of one game at this point out east so obviously there's plenty of room for things to change in that respect but the Heat had lost four straight before they picked up a win yesterday. So what are your thoughts on Miami right now? Because we've gone a little bit into some of our concerns and some of the slippage we've seen from them, but definitely notable at this point in the year to be having some of the issues that they have had.
1: Yeah. I mean, how can you not be worried about Miami at this point? Well, first, um, I just like to say I didn't make a TikTok on Miami until after the Butler Eudonis thing. I probably should have. I had been skeptical um of Miami all season long, right? And so I'll preface this Well, not all season. You began very optimistic. Yeah, I, at the start of the season, I picked them as my as the team to win the finals. Midway through the year, I was still riding that train. And you just notice, no matter who they play, you know, they just go through lulls. They they don't have enough offensive creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle Lowry has been a shell of himself this season, right? And I don't mean... and I I don't want to say that and make it seem like Lowry's not doing his job, because he's doing his job well. Kyle's yeah. playing hard defense. He's facilitating. He's just not going out there in getting isolation buckets the way he used to, right? Yeah. He's just not that guy anymore. But good. Miami still has a guy like Tyler Hero. That's the thing, though. Are you going to rely on Tyler Hero and Jimmy Butler to carry you through the playoffs that's where the skeptic is. The skepticism comes in because they just don't have a wealth of isolation guys that can go out there and serve buckets. Um, the three point shooting has been up and down this season, um, and so you know those are all things that I was concerned about. Then you have this blow up with Jimmy and UD, and it's like, Carson, you said it. I thought pretty well. A team coached by Eric Spolstra, that should never go down, bro. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't want to. I like seeing guys like that get competitive. I don't want to, like, judge Jimmy too harshly. It seems like Jimmy's just kind of a hothead that he just gets, like, I mean, we saw the shit in Minnesota, um, Philly, like, Jimmy just get like this. If things are not going right, he's going to speak his mind. Um, but the fallout from that has been very ugly these past few games. Mm-hmm. They get dotted the fuck up in the fourth quarter by Emmanuel quickly in the Knicks. I mean, dude, I think quickly at 20 in the fourth. I Cooks them, absolutely destroys Miami. Um, you have the Brooklyn game, and that's one of the ugliest games that I think Miami's played all year. They get outscored 40-21 to 21 in the second quarter. KD, Kyrie, all of the starting five don't even touch the floor in the fourth. Yeah. And you still lose by 15. Mm-hmm. Like, this has been, I, I think, the ugliest stretch of basketball all season long. And again, Miami has had some, uh, some bad offensive performances this year. I, this, I mean, to state the obvious, like all of my confidence, all of the win that I had in my Miami heat balloon has been, you know, taken out of it. Like yeah. I'm, um, I don't think Miami can win the finals. I think that what we are seeing too, is there cracks in the locker room? Like, I just think that I think on court and off court, there are just way too many concerns for me to have any confidence in Miami, but yeah. Does the outlook change for you, Carson, on the Miami Heat if they end up getting like if they end up avoiding Brooklyn and end up like notching the three seed and they pull the Raptors or the Cavs or somebody like that?
0: For a first round series, I mean they'd certainly be the favorite. And I think that with Brooklyn, that would still be very interesting. I wouldn't consider them like a significant underdog there at all, but at the end of the day, that's not the goal. I think I would. A significant underdog? I don't know, dude. I, I just,
1: I'm taking Brooklyn point blank. I'm taking Brooklyn in five, probably. Wow, Maybe six.
0: I That's interesting. I, I think
1: Brooklyn is in a different class offensively than Miami, and I
0: think that makes I all agree. the difference in the world. Sure, but Miami's in a different class than Brooklyn defensively.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the track record in the playoffs is the defense translates better over than offense, but I don't know, dude.
0: I have zero stock in this Miami offense. Yeah, I mean, what really translates is stellar two-way teams. Mm -hmm. You cannot be overly dependent on either side of the ball. And the Heat for much of this year were a great two-way team, you know, like a top six kind of group on both ends. And it's interesting because what's really happened, I feel, is that the things you probably would have identified as preseason issues for them have kind of come to fruition and they were able to compensate Mm -hmm. for a lot of the year. I think that, obviously the thing that stood out about this roster before the year most was okay where is that elite offensive creation coming from you know you're going to rely on a lot of that big time shot making from a guy like Tyler Hero who has done a really good job and has given tons of raw output and has clearly progressed and has a nasty bag and all these things but like also never been an uber efficient Mm -hmm. offensive hub and that remains the case like he's scoring at pretty much league average efficiency and you look at the other lead guys and you know, Jimmy's not asserting himself quite on that level night tonight. Lowry has, like you said, been valuable as, as a facilitator. But I think the most obvious thing that is missing is that there's just a lack of downhill pressure here. Like, there's not guys, mm-hmm. first and foremost, who can go out and just get buckets and whatever. And that's obvious. But there aren't guys who just put a ton of pressure on a defense. Like, the Heat have the number 28 paint offense this season. I think that that is pretty indicative of the issue that they've had there. It's a lot of guys who, yeah, can create from the perimeter well enough. A few guys, really, I should say. Lowry, Jimmy, Hero. But not with a lead efficiency and not in a way where they're really striking terror into defenses, I don't think. Well, and it's all tough bucket getting for right. all of those guys. That's what I'm saying, if it's yeah.
1: Jimmy, if it's Kyle, if it's Hero. Um, the one thing I want to add about this recent stretch is that, I mean, Jimmy has seemed pretty checked out mm-hmm. in the terms of, I, I thought... Against Sacramento is a little different, but I mean that's just the Kings, bro. Sure. Um Jimmy has seemed a little bit more checked out recently. I'm hoping that this doesn't last long, but So I I, I, I get what you're saying about not having a go to guy, and I completely agree. Do you think Jimmy Butler is still the kind of player that you can rely on offensively as the go to guy that can lead you back to the finals? Do you think that I think when can, he's can at he his be best. that guy again?
0: I think when he's at his best, yeah, because, I mean, there's lots of guys who do different valuable things for this offense, and obviously you have the versatility of Bam, another guy who's certainly not a takeover player, but, you know, you can use in DHOs and as a role man and all this stuff and can do a little bit himself one-on-one, and you do have tons of shooting here still. I mean, this is still overall in the year by percentage the best three-point shooting team Mm -hmm. in basketball. And so, if you put Jimmy in a spot like that, he's not going to have to go out and score 28 a night. And that's why I don't want to overstate what it's looked like this whole year, because even without that superstar guy offensively, you know, this is a team that is towards the top league in assist percentage. They have multiple guys who can really facilitate and a lot of guys who can really shoot the ball and a lot of just good overall offensive players. So it's not like, oh my God, it's been brutal all year because they haven't had that lead guy. But now over their last 10, they're 22nd in offensive rating and they've just been trending more and more from very good to average (laughs) and you're not winning anything super meaningful with an average offense. It's just not possible. So if Jimmy plays his best, I don't think he's a fundamentally different player really than he was two years ago. I think that, I mean, he's very similar in a lot of ways. And I think that the production and efficiency is almost identical, but I don't know if I would say, yeah, he can get back up to the level that he did in that playoff run because he was really balling out. I mean, obviously the finals was even a different gear to get to. And I think regardless, like you need really strong performances from Hero, who is, you Mm -hmm. know, your leader in field goal attempts. Uh, you need to make sure that Bam doesn't just disappear as a scorer in a series, and it's just not that easy. I mean, that's what yeah. it comes down to. Even Bam, as good as he is, it's not super easy for him. And I think that's kind of the, I think that's kind of the thing with
1: Miami. I guess that we can say all year because you're right; mm-hmm. these struggles have not persisted the entire year. But what has persisted is them being volatile night-to-night yeah. night in terms of, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, you know what? Maybe I should reframe my take on Miami. Miami could get through these, but a lot of shit would have to go right and also just like— They have to shoot the hell yes, out of the ball. Yes, exactly. And that's that's the big swing thing is they would have to shoot the hell out of the ball the entire playoffs. It's not something that can't happen, but yeah. it's like when a team is so dependent on the, on the three ball, you can disappear and go 30% from deep in a series and you're done. Yeah. And that's ultimately what really scares me about Miami—the lack of, like you said, the downhill pressure, the isolation guys, the tough bucket getting from the perimeter. And you're asking the <laughs> the Max Struces of the world, the Duncan Robinsons of the world. The you know, you're asking the look, man. I love Duncan Robinson. I I love these guys. I love watching these guys play because they remind me of me on the pickup court, right? <laughs> <laughs> catch, catch and shoot white guys. Sure, but. You're asking a lot of them. Uh, you're asking a lot of everybody on this team to perform. And, again, you just need to, you need to be hot the entire, yeah. the entire playoffs to make it through. And I just think that's a little too much uh, to ask. I, they do have a guy that I think could exert some downhill pressure, but, I mean, we haven't seen it. Like Oladipo just right. doesn't
0: really do that a whole lot um, in this offense. It's just what can you really expect yeah. out of him? I don't know. It's such a quick turnaround to expect him to be a real – Impact Mm -hmm. guy. And, you know, I thought he looked good in his debut, but ever since then, it's been a lot more meh, I think. And I think that obviously Miami's depth has really outperformed expectations this year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of shooting there. I still don't think, though, it's like a legitimate plus. You know, in a real meaningful playoff series, it's like, it's still a little weird that, I don't know, Gabe Vincent plays 24 minutes a game, you know? Like, these yeah. guys are solid. They are. You know, Caleb Martin's a dog, and he's been playing really good basketball this year. Struce as you mentioned, has had a hell of a shooting season, but it's just like, I don't know, when you also have an offense that has questions in the scope of teams of that caliber, you need to have something that sets you apart. And,
1: I mean, you just, you look at the benches for the other teams out east, too, and Miami's is just like, like you said, man, Struce and Vincent are getting P.T., I don't know. You Like look in at, PT,
0: they get big minutes. Yes, exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Like, you look at other—I don't know. You look at any other team out east that's in the playoff picture, outside of, what, Chicago? Maybe I like everybody else's bench more. And Chicago's close now that they're almost getting back to full
0: health. Chicago's uh, top eight? Like, the first few guys off the bench at full health? Pretty yeah. damn good. Yeah. He's just a lot of red flags. Yeah.
1: A lot of red flags in Miami. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's a. I think it'd be a cool concept for a show. What, what do you think, Carson? A, a red flag show for contenders, like right pre-playoffs?
0: I've actually come up with that as a concept for something else. Vague. Yeah. No, I like that idea. Sure. What? My, <laughs> my secret show. Can, I, can okay? I steal that? Can we yeah. steal that for nerd session? My intellectual property. Why? and you didn't copyright it. I just came up I you just saw I just came up with live on the spot. My intellectual property, but yeah, I think that Miami certainly has some of the more glaring issues of top teams yeah. in the league at this point and
1: I'm off that.
0: Yeah. I think that I am as well. And again, I mean if they have an unbelievable shooting run and you know, we still know what they're capable of defensively, which is a really important pillar to what they're doing. And if Jimmy can find that extra level, but it just and, and it I mean, feels like a lot would have to go right.
1: Yeah, and I said in my video preseason that you know it was a really replicable formula, and I still largely, I still largely agree with that. But when you think back to the 2020 playoffs, think about it. We didn't have fans, right? That's one thing. Mm-hmm. In that first series, they shoot damn near 40. percent The second series, they shoot like 37 against the Pacers. Or it was the Pacers' first round. They, Definitely they, was
0: not the Pacers in the second round.
1: Pacers first round, they shoot, you know, damn near 40%. The Bucs was the second round. Bucks second round, they shoot Celtics like 37. Next. And then the Celtics, they barely eked out against Boston. Like, they went cold, like down to 34 35%. Mm-hmm. And it was just good enough to get them over the hump. And by that time, they had spent, you know, they were, they were spent. You know, they, mm-hmm. they still got the good looks that they wanted against LA. They just weren't hitting them. And you need that to happen again um in this playoff run and again I just think yeah to 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 put a ball on it I think it's just a little much to to expect out of Miami not that it can't happen like I've predicted but it's a lot to expect
0: all right so just speaking of teams that had preseason contender expectations and have been struggling as of late we mentioned the heat had just dropped four in a row the Utah Jazz currently are on a four game losing streak and like It's just been a season of disappointment for them, really. And coming off of such a dominant regular season last year, it seemed like conceivably uh, they were probably going to get better just with like the addition of Rudy Gay and not really having any losses. And then just pretty clearly coming out the gate this year, it seemed clear that they, uh, well, maybe not right out the gate, but they just have not been the same caliber of team. So now as this slide has continued, they're in the five seed. The Mavs have overtaken them. They have a half game on the Nuggets. Like, it is not inconceivable that we see them slide to the six seed at this point. So, I mean, we've talked about this before, but, like, what's wrong with Utah? What even are the reasonable expectations for them at this point as we approach the playoffs? Um, We can start with what's wrong. I mean,
1: Utah is just another team that's really dependent on the three-ball Um, And I think we've seen in this recent skid, um, Donovan Mitchell's had a few bad games. You know, he goes 3 of 12, I think, versus uh, Boston, Mm -hmm. uh, 5 of 15 from deep versus Brooklyn. I'm in that Boston game, I will say. uh, Like I mentioned earlier, really glaring Boston was switching everything on Utah. It looked like the Jazz were just powerless, man. Mm -hmm. Um, Could not get anything going offensively. When I think you look at this season as a whole and what has gone wrong— Clarkson obviously had that really slow start to the season. Um, He's picked it up a little more efficient uh, efficiency wise as the season's gone along. Um, He's not the major one. I think you have to be disappointed with the guys that they added uh, in free agency, right? Like Rudy Gay has been a major disappointment in my opinion. Whiteside is just mid. Like people are gonna look at his numbers, you know? Yeah, he's giving you eight and eight. Cool. Yeah, Whiteside's just meh. I think you have to be disappointed and like not disappointed Eric Pascal's numbers aren't bad bro but it's like Pascal's not a needle mover certainly not I I think that they've just kind of regressed the Ingles injury obviously was huge to this team right um, in terms of you know a secondary creator a guy who's really good catching shooting uh, hustles hard I think it's just kind of Just slight regression. I think we saw the peak Utah Jazz team last year. Uh, They've regressed defensively, too, to 10th in defensive rating. I know Rudy missed like five or six games, right? That's not why. You know, the Jazz are just not as good of a defense as they were last year. Mm -hmm. Um, They still are statistically number one by offensive rating. I I think that comes and goes with the three-point shooting. So I think we've just seen them kind of regress slightly this season, Carson. I think the bench was... The injuries, the Clarkson thing, the bench assets not coming in as being as good as they uh, should have been. Yeah. What can we expect from them in the playoffs? I mean, if Utah gets hot from behind the arc again, right? Could they... hmm I don't know. I, I don't think... I, Golden, State, Golden State would be an interesting series. Versus Dallas, I think Utah just gets mopped and... I don't know if you can play Gobert in that series. I think they the U, uh Dallas would just stretch the hell out of the floor mm-hmm. and shoot them to death. Be a fun series, but I think that Gobert kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Like uh, you know, like the Clippers series. Like I just think that honestly, I expect a first round exit out of Utah at this point mm-hmm. with the regression defensively, with the dependency on the three ball, with the potential matchups that they could draw. I wouldn't expect them to be Dallas or Golden State, and. Uh, I'll let you give your thoughts, Carson. I think the next logical question here is what's the next step? You know what I mean? Because they've been running this thing back for a long time now with this duo. Every single year we hear more and more rumors that Rudy and Donovan are just fed up, right? That they are just tired of of middling, of not going anywhere, of continuing to run this thing back. So are your expectations different? Is there anything else that you think contributed to them not being as good as they were last year?
0: Well, I think the most obvious thing has been the defensive regression because, I mean, still, it's an unbelievable shooting team. There are multiple creators, and, yeah, there's been disappointment. I think that, obviously, the Ingles loss was devastating, and he wasn't even his normal self when healthy, and Clarkson has had an underwhelming year overall. But I actually think Donnie is the best that he's ever been. We've talked about that. I mean, his expansion of the mid-range game and whatnot and uh, – continuing to just improve his efficiency as a finisher and everything and maintaining his playmaking. Like he's fantastic and they have the team shooting. No doubt about that. But it's really been defensive. And I mean, you have to give Rudy Gobert an immense amount of credit for like what he has always been able to do defensively. Cause it really is worth stating that he for basically four straight years turned teams that had like one other significant plus defender in Royce O'Neal into the best defense in basketball like that is unthinkable and I think what we've seen is just I don't know maybe that wasn't totally sustainable because there's still a very good defense when Gobert plays but they're not like best defense in the league level and then they're not at all a good defense when he's off the floor I mean they're an outright bad defense and so that shift has been damaging to them and yeah, in terms of playoff expectations, it doesn't bode well cuz I actually thought that this could kind of be the year for Utah. I looked at the foundation they had in terms of their two-way potential, their shooting, their multiple creators. I wasn't like, okay, there's a great contender out west who's going to totally exploit some of the Gobert stuff cuz I thought, well, If we're being frank, I picked in the conference finals before the year the Lakers to go up against them, and I was like, I don't know if there's a team that the Jazz are actually better equipped to beat than L.A. because of, uh, you know, just the lineup that they came into the year with in terms of shooting and uh, size and whatnot and Gobert's ability to take away the rim and the paint. But now I think that obviously, I mean, like you said, I think the Mavs could really expose – uh, this jazz team if that mm-hmm. ends up being the matchup that they draw and it's just you think about the stuff that does matter like once you're really into a playoff series and teams are like yeah we can switch whoever on to go bear and if we have the personnel we can go small and make go bear look silly it's like there's just a lot of stuff man there's a lot of stuff and I don't think they're A good enough basketball team anymore to compensate for that given the loss of depth by the way I mean I thought that like Jared Butler was gonna actually matter for this team I really liked him Uh, Nikhil since they picked him up has sucked has not mattered whatsoever and so it's just like in a lot of ways this team has fallen off and I mean even in their form last year where they were so exceptional we still saw some of their stuff get exploited. And yeah, I do think that was a very unique matchup against the Clippers because of how much shooting they had and how willingly they were able to go small. But I don't know, dude. I mean, obviously the Yang loss has been a legitimate one given how well he's played in Philly. What? Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, look, compared to the alternatives and who they've, I'm just, saying, those I'm just saying
1: I'm just saying I've always been yeah. got good. Jewish Niang guy yeah. right
0: and some crackers gave me hell because he's I said good. That
1: I thought Niang was an impact player but you know it's okay He's good. It's okay he is. He's a really he's a he's a pretty solid 3 indie D guy and I like him a lot. He he's really okay. slow. Nobody
0: asked for a Niang segment right. But he opens he, he bangs open threes. He's yeah. very slow. Carson What's next? Well yeah, I mean that's the most <laughs> important question. I honestly think Donovan Mitchell is going to get out of Utah. And I have not been somebody to pull the trigger quickly with this whole dynamic just because I was like, look, last year, especially, again, I was like, their top eight, especially their top seven, is insane. I thought that they had, you know, two of the absolute best bench players in basketball on top of a stellar, super complimentary starting five. And I was like, just because you fall short in a playoff series, even if some stuff gets exposed about you, you don't have to then just give up. And even if you don't have like a top... 10 guy in the league you know their cohesion their coaching was so brilliant their two-way ability I was like maybe you could go out there and win a title I wasn't ready to just call it off but now with the regression with the loss of angles I don't feel good about their ability to win a title with this core at all and you're paying Rudy Gobert 45 million dollars in 2026 And I don't think that there is nearly enough roster flexibility around that for this team to do what they need to to become a title frontrunner again.
1: Well, you're paying Gobert all that money. Mike Conley is getting up there in age. He's been outstanding again this season in terms of facilitating, knocking down open shots, Mm -hmm. um, playing his role. I mean, the timeline just... I don't know, man. I think the logical conclusion that the Jazz have to come to this offseason is the best-case scenario is you move off Rudy Gobert, and I don't know who trades for him. I don't know what his value looks like around the league. I don't know if... Yeah. And it's weird saying that, right? Because he's been such a talented defender for so long. He's, you know, got all these deploy awards, right? Like, I just don't know what the value of a guy like Rudy Gobert is around the league because of his skill set, you know, his, his limitations. He can't mm-hmm. stretch the floor... We've seen him get played off the floor in a playoff series I think that if you don't move Gobert though you're going to lose Donovan Mitchell and you talk about them not having a top 10 guy Carson Donovan Mitchell still might be in terms of guys I want for the playoffs is very close to cracking that top 10 and Mm -hmm. I mean that in all of the league yeah Donovan Mitchell is one of the toughest buckets I've ever seen in my life on a basketball court and you cannot afford to lose that guy not to mention that Utah fans love him. And I'm not saying they don't love Gobert. There's a different kind of love that Utah fans have for Donovan Mitchell. Of course. And you cannot afford... He's four years younger than Gobert. He's much more valuable to winning offense. You can't lose Donovan Mitchell.
0: Better contract, too.
1: Yeah. Like, you have to do whatever you need to do to keep that man around. And I'm just obviously Utah needs to completely retool this team at this point, right? Like, I mean, and the only reason I say that is because of the ages of these guys. Mm -hmm. The uh, Boyan is 32, Conley 34, Rudy Gay 35, Whiteside 32. These are all guys getting major minutes in this rotation right now. Yeah, And so maybe you take next season, you move off of Gobert, you regress a little bit to a Maybe a lotto team or maybe a 8-10 to seed. You know, I don't know where you stand after you lose a guy like Gobert. But I think the obvious point is that if you hold on to Gobert and Mitchell, you're going to have to let one of them go. Mm -hmm. And
0: it damn sure is not going to be Donnie if I'm making the decisions in Utah. Yeah. What, though, is the dream asset or player that you're looking to get back for a Gobert or even beyond that like what is the biggest thing that this team is missing another another buck man another guy you can just go
1: out there and you score think so? i mean like i guess i don't know like jordan clarkson is a really special scorer but he's not that guy you know what i mean mm-hmm. you need i think that is the next step i think you just need another guy that can go out there and fill it up alongside donovan night to night because that's why they have that's why they have struggled so much in this recent stretch donovan's just not hitting shots yeah, and they are so dependent on Donovan showing up each and every night and being rock solid. Like he's just—he's been cold these last four games, and so I think—I yeah. think he needs somebody else, and you need it you need it fast because again, we've heard so many rumblings. Uh, friend of the show, Peyton T. Gallagher, one of his favorite sayings, right? When there's smoke, there's fire. We've seen a lot of smoke coming from Donovan Mitchell, and yeah. some of that has to be reasonable. I think you've. I think they should explore moving off of Gobert this offseason because I think it in the long run, you free up money, you're more flexible. Gobert is still a valuable asset right now in the league, mm-hmm. and I think Donovan needs a co-star offensively.
0: Yeah, I still don't know if I really look at offense as the thing here just because, I mean, again, this is now back-to-back years where i mean they're like historically great offenses historically great shooting teams the last two playoffs even as they've lost relatively early they were the number one playoff offense two years ago and the number two playoff offense last year with like an offensive rating of above 120 both times so that's not the first thing i look at so let me ask you this then yeah
1: if you could free up money right yeah and you could have If Mitchell and Gobert, you have a blank slate of rosters around them, are you just going with 3-and-D guys the rest of the way? Would you move off a guy like Boyan to get somebody who's better defensively? Mm -hmm. Would you move off um, of—I don't know. Because we've seen teams—I'm trying to think of teams that have been similarly constructed to this. I feel like you could, in theory, if you went heavy on just 3-and-D guys who can defend, I feel like it could work.
0: Yeah, I I think that that is— the biggest thing is, like, really good impact defensive wings who can obviously shoot the ball as well because then, with or without Gobert, at least you're giving yourself that defensive foundation on the perimeter. And offensively, I mean, it would be great to have a more versatile big.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like, I don't know if that's the undoing because Gobert is very good at his job i mean he's a very good role man he eats on the offensive glass he's uber efficient yes like again he's not versatile whatsoever and that's an issue but at the same time there's only so many really good versatile offensive bigs in the nba like most of those guys are like you know the real like stars except for like maybe john collins you know but like then defensively obviously you're giving stuff back there but i think they really need more stuff on the wings but like yeah i mean although i would love to look at this and say yeah they need another big time shot maker i don't know if that's totally true donny is the most efficient volume pick and roll player in basketball he has now developed his scoring skill set in every way to where he is a, a very very good elite 3 level scorer we've seen him average 32 plus in the last two playoffs like his playmaking is good enough at this point And so, yeah, even if he hasn't always been, like, elite in terms of efficiency, as far as star guys go, he's pretty good. So, and the team offense is phenomenal.
1: Exactly. It's converted to good team offense. Yeah. I mean, I
0: think you have a point. It's just,
1: yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, should the conclusion that we come to be that you can't win with Gobert in the playoffs?
0: Why no, defense, I don't think so. Why I think has the conclu- defense
1: been so much... Why has the defense regressed consistently so much in the playoffs then? Well,
0: last year was obvious because, I mean, they ran up against the team that had the greatest ability to exploit them.
1: And I would say in the modern NBA that, that, that it's something that can, can get exploited a lot.
0: Yeah, it can, it can get exploited. But, I mean, the Clippers last year were a top five three-point shooting team by percentage ever. And their best five really was a small five. And again, you can put Marcus Morris and Kawhi on Gobert because Gobert is uh, a beta, frankly, with no (laughs) postgame and no offensive skill. (laughs) And so he can't do anything about that except go over the top of you right off a roll. And if you're strong and you can hold your own position there, like he's just not going to punish you. And so, yes, that is a real thing. My point is just, I don't think we can look and say, okay, every single team can exploit that. But yeah, it's not good, dude. And it's just straight up, I mean, they are built for regular season basketball. I think that that is clear. Uh, And I just think, honestly, my takeaway may be, it's just really, really hard to build a true title contender because the Jazz are really good. They're gonna continue to be really good. I think they can win playoff series with this core. But... There is this inevitable frustration and boiling point that comes because there comes a point where that's just not good enough, especially when you have a regular season like they did last year.
1: You took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say that the tea kettle is going to boil over. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I did. We are reaching a boiling point in Utah and you just don't want to, you can't lose Donnie.
0: Yeah. But I don't think you can say something like, I mean, here's the problem. And here's the real question. It's not a matter of winning a title with here's, Gobert. It's here's, so, here's I'm sorry. Cut me off a little more, why don't you? Here's what I here's how I think we need to frame it, right? Rudy Gobert is a damn good basketball player, okay? And with his issues, yes, in the playoffs, if you have an exploitable matchup where, you know, he can't park in the paint all day and take away the rim for the entirety of the night, like yeah, his value is going to go down some, but it's not like he sucks out on the perimeter. You know, like in the Scheme of big men, he's still a pretty good guy out there. The problem is that if his value is going to diminish at all, then you can't pay him thirty-five to forty-seven million dollars, which is what his contract is going to be in the final year. So that's the question. Because you know, it's like you wouldn't say that you can't go out and have a great playoff run with Clint Capella because we saw it last year. The thing is, you're paying him less than half as much.
1: My thing with Gobert is you're just forced to play his brand of basketball and. I mean, like, think about... In what sense?
0: I would argue that Gobert, I mean, yes, obviously he's overwhelmingly dropping and stuff, but like, I don't know. I think that he can play really good defense in a number of ways.
1: Let me throw this out at you, right? Yeah. What if, and again, I don't think they need this because they're already really well offensively. What if the Utah Jazz had somebody like Robert Covington at the five or something like that?
0: I think they'd be a significantly worse defense. Well, yeah,
1: I know because of how they're constructed. But if they were a bunch of versatile, switchable guys out here instead of just—and I guess maybe that's the point that I should come to—is that they just don't have a wealth of versatile, yeah. switchable defenders. They here, don't at and all. That's the ultimate issue. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like think about it I, this except, way. Right? Except they're also paying Gobert a shit ton of money, so they can't go ahead and get these guys. No, that's I think they would be much better off if they moved off Gobert, freed up some money, and just got a bunch of. Sh- switchable
0: six, eight, six, nine dudes, you know, and here's the thing. We, people are so brutal on Gobert because of how he's discussed because nerdy people go out and say that he should be in the MVP conversation and all that stuff. And because of the price tag that is attached to him, the reality is still though, that Gobert is a phenomenal defender. And like, I do think the Jazz's issues defensively are overwhelmingly more about the guys on the perimeter because if you put Gobert in DeAndre Ayton's shoes I mean there's just no question that the Suns would be a better defense like there is nothing that Ayton does better than Gobert not a single thing he is not a more significant deterrent on the interior Uh, he is not longer he is not better on the perimeter talking
1: about just defensively
0: yeah and offensively, I mean, this stuff is marginal. It's like touch, you know? Yeah,
1: it's like Aiden has a little bit of an elbow jumper. Yeah,
0: right. And, you know, for a lot of his career, you haven't wanted him taking that shot anyways. But DeAndre Aiden is not being paid one of the biggest contracts in NBA history and has not been an all-NBA guy and is on a team that is phenomenal and that does have those kind of impact guys on the perimeter. So it's okay. Yeah, he can just settle in and do his job. So that's my point with Go Bears. I don't want to draw sweeping conclusions about, yeah. oh, him in any situation. Oh, he's the problem. I do think, though, he is overpaid. And uh, I think Rudy Gobert should probably be like a $25 million a year guy. And I think the Jazz would just be better off reallocating that money into into
1: shoring up the depth in the wings again, man. Mm-hmm. And I think that... I don't know. Like I said, you're going to come to a point where you're going to have to choose between one of the two, and I'm never I'm never not choosing Donovan Mitchell. Agre- yeah, I, I'm agree. sorry. I'm sorry for slandering Rudy like that. He didn't deserve that, but I think we are going to reach a point, and if the Jazz get ousted in the first round this year, man. Yeah. Get ready. Yeah. Get ready.
0: And I think probably the most likely outcome, honestly. I mean, I would take the Mavs over them. Who knows what the hell the Warriors are going to be like. I mean, sheesh. It's not been good, obviously, but yeah, they have major issues. All right. One last topic here, Logan. It is March Madness season. And normally, you know, the past couple of years, we would have done more draft content up to this point. But I think that I've been pretty open in saying that I haven't been able to watch these guys as much as I would normally like to. But now that we are at this time of the year, I've watched some more. And I think there are a few guys who are pretty interesting, but I know that you have one lad who stands out above the rest? We've already talked a good bit about the pretty much consensus top three guys and Chet and Jabari and Paolo, but you have another favorite who you actually think belongs in that top three, Logan. So let's talk about him. I'll talk about some guys who intrigue me. Give your pitch.
1: Yeah, I do. I am going to reframe um, some of the takes I had about okay uh, about some of the other top guys, but I'll go ahead and I'll I'll, I'll spill the beans here. I'll spill the tea. Number two, I've got Jaden Ivy on my board, um, and that might seem crazy. Uh, number one, I still have Chet. I think Chet's a home-run prospect. I think can't miss. Uh, I think Jaden Ivey is something special, man. 6'4", 195 pounds. He's got a 6'9 wingspan. Get out of Purdue. You saw him hit the big shots. Uh, who was it against uh, St. Peter's? Had some clutch shots. Mm-hmm. Almost banged home another one. Um would have sent that game out of OT. Here's why I... I haven't looked I need to look extensively at some of the other guards um, in this class for sure uh, to 100% make sure that there's not some value guys on the back end because last year um, the reason that you know I wasn't in on some of the other guards is I really like the depth in last year's class like I saw a guy like Trey Mann and he was you know supposed to go 20 mm-hmm. and I said screw it if I can get Trey Mann at 20 you know I won't worry about some of these guys at the top so maybe I will restructure that after I look at the other guards but right now Ivy is the only guard that I've seen that I really am confident in running my offense. He's already really solid at operating out of the pick and roll. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that makes him special is just, like, this kid is a master in the lane. There are very few guys that I've watched tape on and been like, like, he just, he knows how to move in space. He's great at avoiding contact, weaving around defenders. Yeah, He gets defenders in jail. He patiently waits. He plays at his own pace but he can also get to the rack at will in space. Like, he is just great at operating inside the arc. When he gets to the rack, he's creative uh, finishing. He's not hesitant to adjust midair to contact. Um, And he's also great at drawing contact and getting sent to the line. Yeah. Um, He attempted nearly six free throws a game, um, 74% clip. Against Michigan State, he shot eight. NC State, he shot nine. Against Rutgers, he shot 18. Against Illinois, he shot 15. Like, getting to the line is a really underrated... uh, uh, part of a guard skill set in today's NBA. and He is so good at it. I talked to Peyton, um, Peyton T. Galler, a friend of the show, big college guy. He told me that I needed to be weary about Jaden Ivey because he wasn't a crazy explosive athlete, um, that he had, he just kind of went in and out of games that he could disappear at some points. I I don't really buy into either of those things. I'm going to be honest. Um, I think he is a pretty damn explosive athlete. I think the kid's got bounce. I think, in my opinion, I don't think he's, like, blazing quick. I don't think he's got a crazy, crazy first step. I think he's way more reliant on that change of pace. But I think he's like Jalen Green, like a stronger Jalen Green, in my opinion. I think what Jalen's a freaky athlete. I think Jaden is, like, I think he's stronger Jalen Green. I mean that. I think Jaden is
0: that caliber of athlete. Um, What? Yes. Logan. I'm speechless. I think Jaden has got bounce like that, man. Okay, well, two things. First of all, that is so much less significance than quickness and first step because one actually creates opportunities. And two, I I still really do not think he's as impressive of a vertical athlete at all as Jalen. I mean, I think he has some great tools to compensate for that. But I would agree with Peyton that he's not an insane athlete. And I don't even think I would identify that as like a red flag because that's just fundamentally obvious, in my opinion, when you watch his game. Like, it is, like you said, it's the change in pace. I mean, he's an unbelievable maneuverer in the paint. He does a lot of great stuff. But I'm very surprised that you say that. Jalen Green is like a jaw-dropping athlete.
1: I don't know. I think people are sleeping on Jaden's athleticism. I think he's... I think he's a little sneakier athletic than people are giving him credit for. He also he doesn't, is, he
0: doesn't blow by people ever. Also, I
1: don't, I'm not saying – I'm talking about in terms of bounce, Okay, bruh. yeah, but like um, – still, uh, still, my points stand. The red flag uh, for Jaden is obviously his shot. Um, the three ball comes and goes and stretches, man. Against Butler, he goes 6-6. Six six. You know, he hits some big shots against St. Peter's. Then there's other games here. Against Michigan, 0-6. Northwestern, 0-5. Mm-hmm. Rutgers, 0-5. Iowa, 1-8. of 8. The shot comes and goes, um, and that's in terms of mid-range and perimeter. He still needs to develop more of a mid-range game. If that's a floater or a pull-up, he really does yep. not have it right now. Um, Talking about his bag, though, pretty hesitation move. He's great with hesies, um, and that's the thing. Here's another big reason, though, of why I am sold on him. He gets to the racket will. Yep. He's great at operating in the lane. The change of pace is nice. He creates perimeter shots, and that's a skill that just some guys just don't have. Jaden may not be knocking them down at a crazy high rate because he doesn't, but he can create them at will. Mm-hmm. And that is what I think really that I'm banking on translating to the NBA, that I expect him to become a better difficult shot maker. And again, he gets them at will. He's just not knocking them down. And he has shown flashes of the crazy difficult shot making. Like, yeah. he will hit big shots. It's just a little inconsistent right now. Um, it's good pushing in transition. Uh, I don't think he's an elite passer. I think he needs to work on his touch a little bit in that regard. Um I think he has a tendency to get a little too aggressive in forcing passes and getting downhill sometimes because that is his bread and butter. Um, He'll get caught in lanes. He'll get caught in between um, double teams, get stripped. Um, He does panic and pick up his dribble sometimes, leading to forced passes, to turnovers. Those are all legit concerns. I think that gets cleaned up. Um, At the end of the day, though, his playmaking ceiling is stupid high because of how he can exert pressure on defense and how he gets to the rack. Like, again— I don't think he is some crazy athlete in terms of explosiveness first step-wise, and that's important at the NBA level. But I think his change of pace is good enough to where he's going to be able to get to the racket will, he's going to get downhill, and he's going to be able to be a good playmaker because of that. Um, At the end of the day, though, I'm just comfortable putting my offense in the hands of this guy, and I can't say that for a lot of other top players uh, at this draft. Um, Right now, uh, I tried to come up with a few player comps. Jante Murray's a typical one just because it's the guy they go to who, you know, just doesn't have a perimeter shot. I, mm-hmm. I don't really like that one as much. Small Jalen Brown, maybe, um, in terms of,
0: I don't think he has a clear comp. If I'm being honest, yeah, I think he's I, a pretty distinct guard. I,
1: I think he is too. I was trying to come up with more athletic Spencer Dinwiddie, just because Dinwiddie isn't that consistent of a perimeter shooter. I was trying to come up with good ones. Um, Jaden is a really unique guy though. Um, but he's number two on my board. I just, I trust putting, I trust putting the ball in his hands. Uh, for offense and I thought late in that game for Purdue, I, I thought they should have. I, I thought there were way too many possessions with the other guard bringing the ball up the floor. Um, Jaden's special, I, I believe in him, and um, I'm banking in him. You think, do you think I'm too high? Where is he on your board?
0: I think you're a little too high. I like Jaden a lot, I think he's like a top five caliber guy. I think that Jabari's floor is so high mm-hmm. that I would probably have him above him, and I think that Paolo just You know that blend of size and athleticism and basketball skill at that age and potential versatility and two-way impact like I think that his star appeal is so intriguing but what I will say is obviously very few things are more valuable in today's NBA than a true star lead guard you know a guy who is that is both a scorer and a facilitator and I think that Jaden has the potential to be that and I completely agree the thing that stands out most to me is just his ability to get to the bucket to get to the line to score in the paint uh, his footwork down there his change in pace it's really pretty pretty unique like it's not Luka level but you know I think it's like potentially SGA level like just thinking about guys who just find a way to get in there and get to the bucket he's damn good at it and uh, I think also, really, the jump shooting is a swing trait. I would bet on his shot. I mean, I actually think he is a good shooter, and he was 36% from deep this year. He's 74% from the line overall. Had a bad shooting freshman season, but I do think that that's going to be a Mm -hmm. big-time part of his game. And like you said, I mean, he's got the step backs. He's got the handle. It's just about making the shots. It's not a question of creating them. I agree with you on some of the intermediate game stuff. He has kind of the floater but it's like a weird little like two-handed push shot. I don't know, it's a, a bit odd. So, yeah, he's unique. I mean, he doesn't look like a lot of like great lead guards in today's NBA, but I think he can do a lot of the things that you mm-hmm. need out of a lead guard. His playmaking I would describe as like kind of chaotic because mm-hmm. it's like he does what he needs to do to create opportunities for other people. He doesn't have like exceptional vision, but he definitely sees, you know, a good amount of stuff way too often yeah he's just up in the air and he's like oh, I just kind of got to throw the ball like the amount of passes that get to guys cleanly from him it's a pretty low percentage in the schemes in the scheme of things like it's kind of like oh I'm up in the air oh that guy's open but like I can't really throw a great pass from here so hopefully it gets there and so like his to turnover ratio is not good 3.1 to 2.6 he has the ball in his hands a lot though so like I don't know if I look at him and think oh yeah he's like uh you know he's not a pure point guard certainly but I think he's a combo guard and I think his playmaking can certainly be good enough you know he can have Donovan Mitchell kind of playmaking I don't think there's any doubt about that like any guard really with the ball in his hands and who can exert the kind of pressure on a defense like he can should be at least solid in that respect and so I think he certainly has a path to stardom and I would take him very high in this draft but I don't I don't view him quite as highly as you do yeah, I do wanna
1: I do wanna add on to that. It is it's genuinely comical watching uh Ivy tape and seeing that happen. Yeah. Cause dude, he does. It's like he's just like um like finding his way along without a plan. Yeah, it's not a good it, habit. He'll it, just <laughs> I'm just gonna barrel my head down into the paint until I run into somebody and I'm gonna Oh shit, I picked up my dribble, I gotta find somebody quick. Yeah. Um that I, I don't love as much. Um but yeah, I'm I'm all in. I, I think I think Jaden is going to be really good at the next level. And, yeah, I mean, uh, and he's big, dude. Yeah, dude. Like,
0: I know he's six four. That's big enough as a guard, but it feels like he plays bigger. See, like again,
1: six nine wingspan, two hundred yeah.
0: pounds. He's a big guard, dude. yeah. And the insistence on getting into the paint probably emphasizes that. So like, yeah, dude. I mean, again, he's going to be at least a competent playmaker, and if the shot is good. I think that's a really damn good guard. Like, I'm not willing to just immediately throw him into the star tier. But, again, like, there are a few guys, I think, who have the knack for getting to the rim that Jaden Ivey does. And I don't really think that – I mean, obviously it'll get tougher at the next level, but I would bank on that mostly translating.
1: As would I. Um, I don't have any other, like, uh, hot takes like that. Um, I know you got some guys from the tournament that you want to get to. And uh, I'll talk about some of the other top guys and revised Mm -hmm. thoughts.
0: Yeah, so I mean again, I want to continue to explore the depth of this draft more But i've had a chance to at least look at most of the other top 10 guys and I will say As much as there's been a focus on the top three and you have talked You know a lot to me in private at least about your infatuation with mr. Ivy I think keegan murray who is You know, maybe going to be a top five guy definitely gonna be a top 10 guy and was uh, you know right up there for the best player in college basketball this year is an incredibly distinct prospect and uh, i mean he put up 23 and a half and 9 this year and was like a totally unheralded guy coming out of high school and came off the bench for Iowa last year and is 21 but like as a pure scorer of the basketball is really really distinct insane efficiency 62% on twos 40% on threes 75% from the line and, uh, you know, I mean, people talk about Jabari and people talk about Paolo, obviously, in sort of a different tier as prospects right now. And I think a lot of the reason for that is probably they're younger. You look at them and think there's a lot more room for development. But I think that Murray is unquestionably a significantly better score than both of those guys right now. I mean, he can legitimately handle the ball. He is a lights out pure shooter. He is super versatile offensively. He pushes in transition. He runs the floor in transition. He's 6'8", feels like a clear four. You know, he's not a wing, but he is a mismatch four, dude. Like, he is going to take guys off the balance. He can create tough buckets for himself. And so I just look at him and I think, man, you give him a lead ball handler. You involve him as a roller, as a popper. You let him isolate against fours who I don't think can stick with him from the perimeter. Like... It's just a pretty darn unique skill set offensively. And then, you know, was a impactful defensive playmaker this year. 1.3 steals, 1.9 blocks a game, and good on the boards. And another guy who I feel almost plays bigger than his size, like I feel like, you know, I don't know, I look at him, and even though he does a lot of uh, a decent amount of perimeter stuff, he just looks bigger than 6'8 to me. But I think a really, really interesting scorer. And I don't know, dude, like just with – his pure shooting ability alone, there's just going to be value there. I think.
1: Yeah, oh, definitely. I think Grant's a guy that's going to, or excuse me, Grant. I, I thought of Grant Williams for some reason. I think Keegan. Just because he's a always thinking about Grant. I think about Grant Williams I, I <laughs> for real, I always think about that dude. I think Keegan's a guy who could be a four or five at the next level. Genuinely a small ball five, despite him only being like two fifteen. I think he's a force coming out. But I think in certain lineups, he could be a small ball five. He's a gritty dude, bro. I think he just makes winning plays. I think he's going to be a guy who's going to be a really good addition, like, off rip. I think he's he's a winning just kind of player. Um, Yeah, so where do you have him on your board right now? What, four or five? Can you concretely say?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, he doesn't look like a ton of guys, which is kind of what I'm trying to figure out. But, I mean, I think he's, think he's he's, he's the best basketball player in the top five right now but he's also in terms of what winning just winning
1: I just think he's the, no, I
0: think he's the most developed game.
1: Well, he is 22. Yeah, Correct.
0: So. I, I thought he was 21.
1: He is 21. I think he'll be 22 draft night. Um, yeah. So,
0: I mean, that's obviously a significant component there, but again, I don't really see how a guy who can score the ball in as, as many ways as he can is going to just flop. And and, and is and also on the other end is also a great, great defender. Correct. Yeah, I think I think his
1: uh I don't know if I'd say I think the highest floor in this class
0: you said Jabari?
1: Is, is that your guy? Well, I, I think, think my highest I don't know, I think is probably Chet.
0: Paolo. And that's interesting. Yeah. I think Paolo has a couple more roles in which offensively he could just end up being a volume. I mean, I'm really high on Paolo, but like, I suppose I can see a couple more paths to like it not totally working out. But a lot of these guys are such good two-way players, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that applies for all th- of the big three freshmen that I feel like they do have pretty high floors. Jabari, I just think the shooting is so great, but I'd probably say Chet is still the highest floor because I think, I just think he's in a different class as a prospect, honestly. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I think this top five is really good, really interesting, and just prospects who don't look like a lot of other yeah, guys. For Paolo real, is like, you know, kind of feels one of a kindish. Chet, absolutely. Jaden we talked about, pretty unique in the way that he gets his buckets and all of that. Keegan Murray, I think, is extremely distinct. So it's just interesting. You just see this evolution of, like, guys who are coming in and doing more things than before and – obviously the skill from big men is one crazy thing because that's four of those top five guys we're talking about are six eight at least and all of them with very legitimate basketball skill in some way or another all of them good shooters all of them comfortable handling so I, I, I don't think I look at Keegan Murray and think oh he's a foundation for an offense I think he obviously needs support around him because he's not like a wing the facilitating isn't like good enough but I do look at him and think, man, he could do a lot of damage in a lot of different kind of roles offensively. So, I mean, you know, I've watched some other guys. I don't know if there's really anybody who we need to go into a ton um, because, I mean, I don't have many super strong takes beyond that yet. I think we'll continue to develop. I will say, just thinking of guys who are still in the tournament, obviously, uh, we've already talked about Paolo enough. I do think Ochai Ogbaje for Kansas, of course, is just a pretty dope 3 and D prospect, like a good athlete, 40% from deep. I think that's a guy who I would unequivocally want on my team in the back half of the lottery. And then obviously, you know, you have a few Duke guys who are continuing to sort of make their cases. But I think it's a, a pretty darn impressive class, I will say, as Logan brings up Tavion Kinsey's stats, who had a phenomenal year. Yeah, shot 18% from
1: behind the arc this year.
0: Um, yeah, for those of you who don't remember. No, maybe I wouldn't around, even. You don't even have to bring it up for huh? real. Well, what happened was last year, as we were preparing for the draft, Logan said this fellow named Tavion Kinsey uh, out of Marshall uh, would be a top five pick for him in the draft. And I said, wow, I thought I liked Tavion Kinsey. And I was thinking, you know, maybe like early second. Uh, and then what happened was Tavion Kinsey proceeded to. Uh, Oh, uh, not declare for the draft and to come back for a fourth year at Marshall in which he shot uh 18% from deep.
1: Average four assists per game, 19 points this year. 44.5% huh? effective
0: field goal percentage this year at Marshall. Top five pick in the draft, Tavion Kinsey. What's good, bro? <laughs> yeah. he's um, trading t- off his stats.
1: Tavion's going to get drafted. He's probably a second round guy. Um, I'm all in on him though, dude. I think Tavion's going to be a <laughs> He's gonna be a game changer <laughs> on the next level. Yeah, Tavion's twenty-two. Um he'll be like he'll be hopefully he can make the G League or something. I really like him though. Kid's got crazy bounce. Yeah. Um I kind of wanted to reiterate the final thing that I'll add on um these guys. Yeah, I I I've liked Paolo more and more as we've gotten close to it, and I am close to I don't know. I'm close to flip flopping Jaden and Paolo just because I am so confident in Paolo just being a good number two or number three. Like, I think Paolo's a winner. You talk about his defensive impact. Mm-hmm. In his skill set, man, Paolo's... Paulo's a playmaker, man. You give him the ball at yeah. the elbow, he's a good... He's a really good mid-range shooter, off the dribble or not. Um, he's patient. He waits for things to open up. Like, um, oh, we talked about him a lot. I, I think that I think that Paolo has the highest floor out of anybody. I think he's just going to be a good player. I, mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, he is just going to be a good basketball player. Um, ceiling wise, yet to be seen. You know, I'm gonna to have to see where he is athletically. Um, stuff like that. We're gonna to have to see how his three point shot develops. But uh, I think he's just got a good chance at being a really good player. Uh, Jaden, though, again, is the only guy that I've seen guard wise at the top that I think has that kind of skill set. But um, yeah, I, I, was, I was just a little... I, I had some questions about Paolo that have been answered throughout mm-hmm. the tournament. I'm, I'm way more confident in him. Uh, it's just being a really good player at the next level. And so, uh, yeah, I think I have him three,
0: but I'm, I'm flirting with him at two or three. All right, well, if you guys want more draft content, I'm coming out with a little mini prospect breakdown on Jabari Smith on TikTok pretty soon. And I think that's something that we'll probably continue to do leading up to the draft. Logan, I know you uh, said you maybe want to... Do that for a little bit of Jaden Ivy, given how much you like him. So, yeah, stay tuned in for all that. And as always, you know, go peep the TikTok. That's where we're coming out with a lot of stuff. Trivia, takes, at NerdSesh, baby. Find us there. Check us out on Instagram, same handle. Check us out on Twitter and Twitch, at nerd underscore sesh, where we live stream our shows. You can listen to the pod on all podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your audio content. You can check out our YouTube channel. You can check out our website, nerdsesh.com. And with that, as always, appreciate you guys listening. I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd